high fire, low fire, no fire, or fast fire? Yeah, well, you know, there's lots of different variants of fire, financial independence, retire early. And of course, I just made up a few of them. But this physician duo has become a model of what it means to achieve fast fire with respects to real estate. Enjoy the show. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. At any time of the year, you can find the semi-retired MDs being photographed in front of a nice sunset off an exotic beach or doing Facebook lives at their latest acquired rental property. But wherever they're at, they're surely living the envious life. I'm really happy, super happy to bring Kenji and Leite on to talk about fast fire and how that's achievable with real estate. This physician power duo has cultivated a growing community of both real estate professionals and physicians who want to learn how to achieve financial freedom. The big difference here though, is that they want to do it really fast. And it's definitely not by cutting all their expenses to zero. But before we jump in the interview, let's hear a quick message from our sponsor. Special thank you and shout out to today's sponsor, Airbnb. Over 2 million people are earning money by hosting on Airbnb. It's free to list, and Airbnb has a tool that'll help you price your place just right. If you're worried about your property when you list it with them, don't be. Airbnb offers something called a host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. And here's the deal. You're the boss when you host on Airbnb. Your home, your rules. Host when you want, how you want, list a bedroom, list the whole place. It's all up to you. So whether you're looking for some side cash or steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be one of the best investments you haven't made yet. When you go to financialresidency.com slash Airbnb and start hosting, you're going to receive a $100 bonus if you generate $500 in booking value by December 31st. Of course, terms and conditions apply. All right, so you're ready to learn how you can achieve fast fire with real estate? Let's jump right in. So we have the physicians behind Semi-Retired MD on today. And guys, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Of course. So we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics of real estate, but you guys have kind of coined a fun term called fast fire. And I want to start today in our show by talking about what is fast fire to you guys, and then we can kind of take it from there on some more fun real estate talk. As many of your listeners may know, uh, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And so we like the term fast FIRE. You know, you make different choices about uh, your investments or maybe some entrepreneurial activities. And the idea is to achieve financial independence, not in 20 to 30 years, but more like five years. Right. The idea is you enjoy your life and you enjoy your financial independence while you're younger. You don't just put it off until you're quite old. Okay. So I am like a fan and not a fan of the fire movement. And like before I get like burned at the stake, I don't <laughs> like the fire movement where people try to cut their expense as absolutely as much as they can. 
and like i'm gonna live off like peanut butter and jelly forever and then retire with you know a million bucks or less and and kind of want to live their life that way i kind of like and i know other people have called it like fat fire just i just want to like be able to live life and be financially independent the idea of fast fire though you guys are using real estate to get there so let's dive into your thoughts on real estate and how this fast fire could potentially occur just to kind of speak to what you just said about fire and cutting back and living on peanut butter and jelly. So we, even though we do a lot of real estate, we're actually really risk averse. And I think a lot of people think that real estate is very risky, but we actually mitigate risk by doing a bunch of things with our properties. And actually, I feel like we mitigate risk by being direct, doing direct ownership of real estate rather than investing in something that we don't know who's doing it. We can't see the numbers. We actually like to control the process, right? So the way we use real estate to achieve fast fire, uh, and and we think that real estate is one of the best ways to achieve fast fire. um, And the reason is, is that not only does real estate give you a source of what we call semi-passive income, and I'll get to what that means, but also the uh, the tax benefits of real estate. And in particular, one of the best ways to achieve financial independence is to reduce one of your biggest expense line items, and that is your taxes. And so what we've done over the last four years using real estate and something called real estate professional status is... Not only do we get a source of semi-passive income, but we also shelter virtually all of our clinical income. And so you can imagine if you're able to eliminate taxes and reinvest the taxes back into real estate, you can imagine how quickly you can grow. We really like to think of it as turbocharging your path to financial independence. All right. So everyone just woke up now and was like, whoa, 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 wait, how are you doing that? I want to, I want to understand a bit more. So let's dive into the idea of like real estate professional status and how you are essentially sheltering that income. So real estate professional status is a tax status. It's not, you don't have to be a real estate agent. It's actually something that your tax accountant will send you the criteria and you decide if you meet the criteria. It's based on you doing more than 50% of your time on real estate activities with a minimum of 750 hours. So you can imagine if you're working full-time and you're working 2,000 hours a year, you got to do 2,001 hours on your real estate. So if you're working less than 750 hours and at that point you're managing your real estate and that's more than 750 hours, what it has the 750 hours has to be made up of 500 hours of it directly working on your real estate that you already own and then 250 of it can be on things like educating yourself or reading or just looking for properties, things like that. And so we got actually extremely lucky because when we first started out, it wasn't really a goal the first maybe six months of what we were doing to get real estate professional status, but we figured it out the first year and we grew so quickly our first year that we actually were able to meet criteria and justify the 750 hours when we had Kenji cut back. And so we've been claiming this status for about four years now, and it's just... I mean, our tax rate is pretty much nil because of it. And you can imagine what a difference that makes in your trajectory of growth when you're not paying any taxes. Yeah. So people thinking here are like, well, you're both physicians. One of you cut to 0.5 or less. The other one's maybe working really hard to fuel the real estate purchases. Is that the case? Like, are you, and we didn't talk about what type of physicians you are or your incomes or anything, but like, is that how you guys are achieving this? Or was it strategic? Was it by accident? 
now I'm a little more curious on, on how you guys stumbled upon the concepts of this and kind of how it works in practice. Yeah, for us, it was probably more by accident. Uh, we realized that by cutting back uh, or having me cut back, uh, that we could achieve the status. So, uh, but now when we when we help others, we think it's a strategy, right? You have one spouse cut back, or if you have a stay at home spouse, that spouse can achieve real estate professional status very easily. Especially with with a stay at home spouse, you already meet one of the two criteria, which is real estate has to be your primary profession. And then all you have to meet is the 750 hours. And for that, you have you do have to own your own properties. You can't just invest in passive syndications, for example, or REITs. Uh, you do have to have your own rental properties that you're actively managing. You really have to plan it out to some extent because... You know, if you're going to, let's say, buy, either live in a high cost of living area and your goal is to get real estate professional status, you're not going to just go and buy yourself, you know, a $600,000 or $700,000 house and rent it out, right? Because that's never going to justify the hours. And now you've blown all your cash on one property. So if you want to achieve real estate professional status, you have to, you think a little bit more about where you want to invest a little bit harder because what you're looking for is if you have unlimited money, which all of us do, you want to get the most number of properties as quick as you can so you can justify the status. So you have the hours. And so you may choose to go invest outside, invest out of state, go to a place like, for example, Oklahoma City, where you can get a lot more property bang for your buck instead of like California, where you're not going to. Yeah. And not to pick on California, but we're totally picking on California. Because <laughs> you can't buy rental real estate here and it actually cash flow and makes sense. You're just banking on appreciation and you might as well go play roulette at that point. But yeah, right. that's exactly how we feel too. It's gambling. It's totally true. Like if you don't have cash flow, you don't have anything, it's a terrible investment because it actually really isn't an investment. It's just gambling in a different form. But do you guys actually buy your properties in, in Oklahoma and kind of like where are you at and are you doing a lot of remote property or in, in property management? So when we first started, we bought in our backyard. We were living in Seattle. And so we bought some properties in north and south of Seattle initially. This was back in 2015 when we started. And in about a year or two, things just started to really heat up in Seattle. And so we really couldn't find properties that cash flow. And so we had to go out of area. Uh, initially, we went to Spokane. And then from there, we went to Oklahoma City. Kenji says we bought in Seattle area, but actually our closest properties were 45 minutes out of the city. A lot of them were up in Everett and in Arlington, which are well over an hour out of the city. So we've only owned one property within Seattle city lines. And that was a property that we basically house hacked. We fixed it up significantly. We lived in it and then we rented it out. Okay. A couple of things. One is you mentioned before we started recording, you guys actually don't own a primary, which I want to discuss, but then two, you, you guys house hack. So tell me a little bit about the house hacking and then tell us why you don't actually own a primary, but you are real estate investors. So I'll talk you through the house hacking experience because it's it was actually one of our really great purchases because it appreciated so much, which of course we've talked about is complete gambling, but when it happens, it can make a big difference. So what we did was we bought a completely rundown duplex right on the city lines. We bought it, fixed it up, and then took out a loan. So 
The duplex was run down. It was renting for suboptimal rents. We put in several hundred thousand to fix it up. And because we were real estate professionals, or because Kenji is a real estate professional tax status, we were actually able to write off that money that we put in to rehab the property as a loss. So that in itself sheltered a lot of my clinical income. Then we lived in it rent-free, basically rented out downstairs. And then when we moved out, we rented the property. We held on to it for about two years, at which point it had already appreciated a couple hundred thousand because of the rehab we had done and also because Seattle went crazy. And we ended up 1031-ing it into two other properties, one in Spokane and one in Oklahoma City, because we realized we had a lot of lazy equity, which was money in the property now that it had appreciated that wasn't really making us any money. And so we were able to take our cash flow from the mid-20s, 20000 per year, up to closer to 40000 per year. Got it. And some people thinking like, oh, well, if I just had 300000 like to toss into a duplex, this would be a lot easier. Like You don't have to do it that way. That's just the way that they did it. It does take money to in real estate, but you can do it with different ways. You can bring on a partner. You can you can actually put debt on it in the beginning. Like there's a lot of ways to kind of go about it, but you do need some money to kind of work through this. That's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. So tell us a little bit about the thought on not actually owning a primary residence. Before we started investing in real estate about four years ago, we were actually looking for a primary residence in Seattle. We hadn't had a residential agent. We were going around. We were actually putting in offers. We got beat out several times. As luck would have it, we took this trip to New Zealand, a camper van trip, right in the middle of that. And I started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which Kenji had read quite some time before. Um, and I get really, really excited. And so what we decided was to read it out loud to each other and to learn from it and discuss it on the way. And so by the end of the two-week trip, we were both like gung-ho, we're going to become real estate investors. And so we came back and met with our residential agent and said, hey, a primary home is not an asset, it's a liability, and we don't want to own liabilities. So we no longer want a primary home. We need you to help us find rental properties. And so he, of course didn't know anything about rental properties, but he was a really good sport. So he was taking us around and we were looking at these $200,000 duplexes that were next to cement factories. And we had read, put in ridiculously low offers. So that's what we were doing. And we weren't getting anything. We had no idea what we were doing. And then luckily throughout the course of the next couple months, we met a mentor who was a real estate agent who owned her own properties. And so she was, you know, along with our reading and then combining her knowledge and experience, we just finally got it. And we just, we bought up like maybe four little duplexes pretty quickly in a couple months. Yeah, it's really interesting. So you guys opted to not, and I talk about it on the show before, I actually, in the upcoming book that comes out in October, I have a whole chapter dedicated to basically your, your home is not an investment, it's a liability. So it's cool that you're validating that for me. Because most people, you know, it's the American dream, right? The American dream is to buy a home, own your own home. And so it's not for everyone. It is for some people. But I like how you guys have taken that and actually furthered your your investments. You know, it comes to mind as we're talking through this is everyone thinks real estate is a bunch of passive strategies. Like, I'm just going to buy it and kind of forget it. And I know that's not the case. I definitely know you guys know that's not the case. But can we talk on this big myth of it's all passive income, which means you don't do any work? Yeah, so... We feel that uh, almost anything that is passive requires some work up front, and real estate is no exception to that. You know, real estate can become what we call semi-passive, um, and especially as you get bigger and bigger. And ultimately, our goal is to own 
large apartment complexes where we can have our own managers on site. When you have a situation like that, it can become very passive. But earlier on, you know, you really do have to work at it. We actually don't think about real estate as an investment. We look at it as a business. And when you think of it as a business, you know, the idea is that with any business, your goal is to increase your net income. And so with our properties, once we purchase the property, we actually think of it as roll up the sleeves and get to work. And so what we do is we look for ways to increase income by tapping into what we call hidden value. And we also try to figure out ways to decrease expenses. An example of that would be uh, you know, in Seattle, you're able to bill back utilities to the tenants. So we, we, if you can eliminate utility expenses, that's a huge win and you can really increase your, your net income. And so th- that's the kind of thing that we're always doing. We're always looking for ways to do that. One other strategy that we found is great for doing this is uh, something called supported living. And what that is, is providing housing for people with intellectual disabilities And, you know, it's a bit of a niche area, but if you can get your home in one of these programs, you can eliminate, uh, well, first of all, you can increase your income significantly because they rent by the room, but you can also eliminate a number of expense line items. And so for one of our properties, we went from 10% return to 40% return on that one property. And so, yeah, per year. And so that property we bought for 160,000 put down about 45,000. Initially it was only making about 4500 per year in cash flow, but now it's making around 20,000 per year in cash flow. Just one property in a $40,000 investment. What caused that again? What was the trigger? What were you able to do by by increasing returns that much? They uh, pay by the room, so we were able to increase our rents from about 925 950 to about 1200. So they were paying 400 per room and it was a three bedroom. And then on the expense side, we eliminated property management, uh, we eliminated utilities, uh, we also eliminate vacancy because uh, even if a tenant leaves, what they do is they continue to pay the rent to hold the room because they don't want to, you know, they don't want us to, you know, rent it to anybody else. And so there's zero vacancy as well. So when you're eliminating all those expense line items simultaneously, you're able to increase your your net income significantly. That's fascinating. I didn't even realize that they would keep right. I mean, it makes total sense. I, I don't have any expertise in, in that kind of assisted living, especially at a small scale like that. But that's a fascinating thing that you guys figured out there. Yeah. And if you're not looking for these opportunities, you know, you never find them. I mean, I always talk about my parents uh, owning rental properties. I mean, they do pretty well. I mean, they cash flow well. They're all paid, you know, the mortgages are paid off, but they did virtually nothing with those properties over the last 30 years. And I just think about all the things that they could have done, the real estate professional status they could have claimed, you know, all the taxes they could have saved. They could have built up their real estate portfolio so much faster than they did. But again, they didn't treat it like a business uh, and therefore they weren't looking for these types of opportunities. Well, and some people, even just to buy real estate in general is what they deem very risky. And it takes a lot of time and effort to understand and to get yourself up to speed so you're not going to get sideswiped and make some really bad deals and lose a lot of money. So the idea that they even bought real estate is great. And and there's another strategy and it's literally just buy and hold, right? You buy a, a house every year. After 10 years, you get 10 houses. They cash flow $1,200 a month and you get $12,000 of income after holding it for 20 years or something. Like There's something for everyone and everyone's got different pieces. But you guys bring it back to 
a business. It's a business. And as you treat it like a business, there's work that goes into it. So how much time do you guys put in to your business versus let's say clinical? Yeah. So uh, right now I'm cut back to just moonlighting uh, and I do just a handful of shifts a year. So my clinical time is actually pretty little. In terms of the real estate, I do enough to meet the 750 hour requirement and how much we put into it is really up to us. And so what tends to increase the number of hours is if we're selling properties or buying new properties. And so this year we are uh, taking advantage of the appreciation that has occurred on a lot of our properties, kind of improving our portfolio by getting rid of some of the ones that we don't like or are, are underperforming and then trading them in for better properties or properties that cash flow better. And so when you start taking on those types of activities, uh, definitely increases the number of hours, but that's just by choice. In terms of kind of a baseline amount of work, uh, I'm doing the required 750 hours, which I think averages out to about 15 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Got it. I think it'd also be helpful for reference if you guys don't mind just telling everyone like what kind of medicine you practice. So we're both hospitalists. Uh, I'm internal medicine trained and uh, Leite is uh, family medicine trained. Right. And I still work half time. Last year I was working full time, but that was in Hawaii. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I, I know you guys both aren't in super high pain specialties that everyone's probably thinking that you're in. And then you say, hey, we're in a, quite a high cost living area. And these are two usually roadblocks that people tell themselves or, or I almost like uh, myths or bad beliefs that they're telling themselves like, oh, well, I don't make as much as, you know, a surgeon, a dermatologist, a cardiologist, whatever. Um, so I couldn't go do this. Or I, I live in San Diego. I couldn't go do this because I don't live in the Midwest where everything's cheap. And you guys have proved it wrong on both sides, which is, I thought, really interesting. So to be fair, Ryan, Kenji and I are a little bit serial entrepreneurs. And we did have businesses that we sold shares in and that that money is what we took and poured all of it into real estate investing. So we had a head start. And that is part of the reason that we achieved this. Actually, within two years, we achieved financial freedom. So I think the key here is, well, first of all, to get started early for people, right? Even if you get just one or two properties, you can do exactly what we did, which is run them well, increase the income by you know rehabbing a them a little bit, increasing rents, then actually the value of the properties increased. And then give it a couple years, slowly building. And then at that point, some of your properties probably have appreciated either through your forced appreciation, which is the improvements and that's what makes it more valuable or just natural appreciation too sometimes happens. And then you you can turn them over. And what we aim for is 10% cash on cash, meaning when we put in, let's say, a $50,000 down payment in a property, we're aiming to get $5,000 in cash flow a year after all expenses are paid. Well, you can see how if your property then appreciates, let's say, $100,000, and then you sell it and you put it tax-free and using a 1031 exchange into another property, suddenly you have $150,000 working for you. And that translate it at 10% cash on cash to getting 15,000 a year in cash flow. And that 15,000 a year in cash flow, if you have real estate professional status and you're sheltering all your clinical income is much, much more than just $15,000. And even if you don't have real estate professional status, and that 15,000 is usually pretty much tax free using something called depreciation. And so that 15,000 even if you don't have real estate professional status, it's probably worth more like 20 or 25. And you have just a couple of those types of properties, it can make a big difference in your life and allow you to be semi-retired. Yeah, absolutely. 
and going back, yes, you sold shares and that maybe kickstarted it, but that doesn't mean that uh, someone that's listening now couldn't actually just do this through four savings. Maybe it takes them a year to save to where you sold shares to then get started. But the, the idea still exists that even if you're not in a super high paying specialty, maybe you can't a- achieve it in two years. Maybe that's ridiculous. And, and uh, you know, you couldn't hit fast fire in, in two, but maybe it's five, maybe it's seven. But the excuse of I live in a high cost living area and uh, I'll pick on pediatricians makes it easy. And I'm a pediatrician, like and I'm in a lower paying field. It's not the excuse. I think it's a lot of dedication and treating it like it's a business and that uh, passive income isn't just passive and good luck. Yeah, we do a lot of uh, training and working with people. We've coached and mentored a lot of investors. One of our favorite examples is a couple who uh, who actually achieved it in one year and uh, without any shares in a company. They had they started last year uh, in April, and so in this quote unquote overheated market, they started in April of 2018. They set a goal for themselves of achieving real estate professional status and owning 20 units. And by the end of the year, they owned 24 units. They'd achieved real estate professional status, and they were making $100,000 in cash flow, which which is tax-free. So if you essentially equivalent to making about $150,000 in W-2 income. Uh, and so this is a couple that just set their mind to it. Uh, in terms of the money, they got it out of uh, some savings, as well as taking some money out of their primary residence. Uh, they did a uh, cash out refi, uh, also got a home equity line of credit. So this is kind of how they tapped into their funds and grow their uh, cash flow very quickly and achieve uh, financial independence. Uh, and so they're, they're definitely, like like you said, I think what we see in, in when we coach a lot of people, we hear a lot of uh, limiting beliefs is what we call it. You know, these are things that you tell yourself, you know, reasons why you can't achieve something or do something. Uh, so I totally agree with you that even a pediatrician with a lower salary, can achieve financial independence quickly. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to do it in a year or two. It just means you can do it. Your path will look different. Everyone's path is going to look different. Mine looks different than yours. And I invest in real estate as well. Everyone has a, a different target number, if you will, towards the uh, the financial independence. Someone who spends 60000 a year is going to have a much different number than someone who spends 120000 a year. But uh, interesting stuff. So you mentioned that you guys do a little bit of coaching um, I think it'd be a great time now to tell everyone what you guys are up to at Semi-Retired MD and let everyone know all the great stuff that you have coming up. Great. So yeah, we started uh, Semi-Retired MD um, really because we were helping a lot of our friends achieve financial independence through real estate. And we realized that we could have a greater impact, contribute more by helping others who are struggling, who are maybe facing burnout, uh, maybe having you know, financial issues. Uh, so we realized that we could have a greater impact by helping people. So our goal with Semi-Retired MD was to was to educate, uh, was to help people build their own real estate portfolios, achieve real estate professional status, and achieve financial independence as quickly as possible. And so through that, we started some uh, coaching as well as we're coming out with some training courses. Uh, we have a live training course coming up, uh, but then we're going to also have some online virtual courses coming out as well in the next couple of months. And as you're recording this year in Hawaii, is the live training course there? Because I would I would just come. <laughs> <laughs> well, the live training course is all, it's going to be video training. Uh, we're going to be, it's funny, we're, we're actually going to be doing the training in Hawaii, as well as Australia, and then 
Amsterdam. So we're going to be traveling in those places over the next uh, eight weeks. Uh, and so we're going to be doing the course from various locations. Yeah, and we'll be up at like 2 a.m., right? <laughs> I don't feel bad for you, though, after you just told me where you're going to be recording. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, is there any other little parting things you'd like to, to say before we end here? Yeah, I mean, we wanted to offer your uh, readers that we talked about real estate professional status, and there are probably a lot of questions about that. Certainly, they can come to our site to to read some of the articles there, but uh, we wanted to offer a free giveaway to your readers. They can get that at uh, semiretiredmd.com forward slash financial residency. And the uh, free giveaway is a quick guide to achieving real estate professional status. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out because I'm always interested in what other people are creating and putting out there. And the idea that you're creating it for us is even better. So that was semiretiredmd.com slash financial residency for that quick guide on real estate professional status. Thank you so much for your guys' time. Enjoy your travels. I appreciate you guys being on. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Well, I really hope you guys enjoyed the interview with our first married couple, I guess outside of bringing on my better half, with bringing on Leiti and Kenji from Semi-Retired MD. Here are the five takeaways that I want you guys to walk away with to help you look at, understand, and potentially achieve fast fire with real estate. Number one, one of the biggest expense line items you can mitigate includes taxes. But in order to do that, you need to have real estate professional status. We've been claiming the status for about four years now. And it's just, I mean, our tax rate is pretty much nil because of it. And you can imagine what a difference that makes in your trajectory of growth when you're not paying any taxes. Number two, in order to achieve real estate professional status, you must meet the required 750 hours. And it also needs to be your primary employment. And I think it's really interesting how Kenji shared how he cut back practicing medicine to bypass any barriers to acquiring the status. We think it's a strategy, right? You have one spouse cut back, or if you have a stay-at-home spouse, that spouse can achieve real estate professional status very easily, especially with with a stay-at-home spouse. You already meet one of the two criteria, which is real estate has to be your primary profession. Our third takeaway house hacking was one of their best things that they did. And essentially because it appreciated so much and Leite shared while having that real estate professional status allowed them to write off some additional losses. Because Kenji is a real estate professional tax status, we were actually able to write off that money that we put into rehab the property as a loss. So that in itself sheltered a lot of my clinical income. Then we lived in it rent-free, basically rented out downstairs. And then when we moved out, we rented the property We held on to it for about two years, at which point it had already appreciated a couple hundred thousand. Takeaway four, not owning a primary residence has worked out pretty strategically for Kenji and Leite because they determined that their primary residence wasn't an asset, but a liability. Coupled with finding a really good mentor, they found their stride in purchasing rental homes. We met a mentor who was a real estate agent who owned her own properties, and so she was you know, along with our reading and then combining her knowledge and experience, we just finally got it. And we just, we bought up like maybe four little duplexes pretty quickly in a couple months. And our final takeaway, kind of last but not least, the big myth around passive income and how 
real estate's just easy. Well, it got debunked by Kenji and we're definitely in agreement here that there's a ton of upfront work that needs to be done before you start increasing income or tapping into the quote unquote hidden value. We look for ways to increase income by tapping into what we call hidden value. And we also try to figure out ways to decrease expenses. An example of that would be, uh, you know, in Seattle, you're able to bill back utilities to the tenants. So if you can eliminate utility expenses, that's a huge win. You can really increase your, your net income. For a quick community update, we're doing some really fun rebranding behind the scenes, and you might have noticed some of the graphics changing or things getting a bit of a fresh look around here. The podcast artwork is going to be changing along with some fun new designs for our Facebook group and our social media channels. The website is taking a little bit longer to redesign, but it's coming along nicely and I can't wait for it to be launched. Also, heads up, ding, ding, ding. Need to put like one of those fun little ding, ding, ding noises. Save the date. If you're in the San Diego area, we're going to be doing an informal meetup on Sunday, June 23rd at 5 p.m. somewhere in University City. I haven't figured out that much in the details, but I at least figured out the date and time. But I'm going to be dropping more details when I have them to our email subscribers and probably posting something in our community Facebook group as well. So if you haven't signed up for our email, make sure you do by going to financialresidency.com slash subscribe. Who knows? Maybe I'll be the only one there, but it's all good. I'll just take selfies and pretend it was fun. All right. Well, I'm super pumped that you all decided to take some time out of your day to listen to me yap about finances. It's my passion, clearly, and I'm definitely nerdy about it. This information is for you, and I'm just happy to honestly be the messenger of it. While I'm honored to have you here with me, I can't give you any specific advice on your financial situation through the show. So please consult an attorney, a CPA, or heck, reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, before you go and make any big money decision. It's just the smart thing to do. Next week, gonna be different. We're gonna do a solo show with yours truly. I'll be tackling the issue of the dreaded B word and how it can help you live the life that you actually want to live. Have a great week, everyone. See you guys on Friday. Cheers. Cheers.